Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and joining me in the studio at the controls is our new engineer, Jessica Lawson. Good day, Jess. We tried to fix the intro music, and it didn't work the way we had hoped. But, uh, you know, sometimes the best laid plans of mice and men don't always go right. And, of course, joining us from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Slutney. Good to be here. Good to have you, Cliff. Uh, Good to be here, Joe. Uh, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, is going to be back next week. Today's segments include the IAQ radio trivia question. We have an interview with disaster restoration veteran and author Stephen Lavelle and contracting. I, I put contracting blogger and consultant, Diane Dennis. I'm not sure she's quite a blogger, but she writes some great articles and, and gives some great opinions and advice for contractors. Anyway, we'll then go to our halftime with Glenn Feldman of IE Connections, get a little news update, and we'll finish with the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors this of IQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. We also want to welcome back Indoor Environment Connections. They are now back up and running. They're your online source for indoor environmental news at ieconnections.com. Please be sure to thank those sponsors once again. You can, of course, stream the old shows right from our homepage. Just click on the show, wait for it to buffer, and it starts to stream. Better yet, you can go to the Go To Show button on our website where you will be able to download shows. Of course, you can also get shows from iTunes, and uh, you can always email us for more information. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We also have continuing education credits for the IICRC, ACAC, and the American Board of Industrial Hygiene. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. When a corporation
surprised by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answers easy, either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in via your computer. Congratulations. To IAQ, Susan Valenti for being first to identify French as the language from which the word franchise is derived. The IAQ radio trivia question for Friday, September 13th, has been 2013, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is www.trsca.org. Now for today's IEQ Radio Trivia question. A mechanic's lien is a security interest in the title to property for the benefit of those who have supplied labor or materials that improve the property. The term lien comes from a French root, with a meaning similar to link. Mechanics links on property in the United States date from the 18th century. Name the American founding father, major contributor to the Constitution, and President of the United States, who is credited with first conceiving the concept of mechanics liens in their modern form to encourage construction in the capital city of Washington. Back to you, Joe. All right, thank you, Cliff. Cliff, I, I'm noticing, and I, I got a, a text from one of the listeners. We're a little tinny. I think what's happening is we've got a little bad internet connection, and Jess and I are going to have to dial back in and fix that. What I'm going to do, though, Cliff, is let you know when we're doing that, and you can continue the interview. I'm going to dial in also by phone so that we, you know, the show doesn't shut down altogether here. But um, it's going to be a little tinny until we do that. Okay. Anyway, Today's guests are Stephen Lavelle. Stephen is a consultant and marketer for restoration companies. He co-authored Insider Secrets for a Successful Restoration Business and wrote the books 197 Ways to Persuade Adjusters and Others to Give You a Job and the Restoration Book, which has strategies and tactics to get more restoration jobs. His new book is Get Paid has over 30 of the leading names in the restoration industry, including the Z-Man, who wrote the foreword, telling you how to get paid even when insurance companies, mortgage companies, and homeowners are holding your money back. When he was writing Getting Paid, he decided you need to gather some of the superstars of the restoration uh, industry, but also he, he wanted to get some others from outside of the industry and reached outside to people like Diane Dennis. Diane has several websites where she gives away a massive amount of free information to help contractors and subcontractors get paid. She's had over 100,000 orders for her contractor forms, and she comes from a long line of self-employed family members. She started a construction company with her husband back in 1995. wasn't real up on construction, but you know she decided that it was a, a good thing for a mother with two beautiful children to go ahead and start her own company and be able to you know manage her own. Uh, time a little bit better. She soon also discovered there was very little support for contractors and subcontractors, and she decided to go ahead 
and start the websites we just mentioned. So we're, we're really looking forward to the conversation today and talking a little bit more about the book. What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn it over to the Z-Man to go ahead and start the interview. And uh, maybe, Glenn, if you could, is there is the sign any better? Go for it, Cliff. Uh I don't know that this sounds bad. It sounds all right from you know. It sounds all right from Pittsburgh. Okay, great. Well, let's keep rolling and see how it comes out. You have to unmute uh, guest one and two there. You got the music? Oh yeah, we got a little music too. Yeah, I'm a little rusty, Cliff. You know, we were off for three weeks. Go for it. Okay. Well, Stephen and Diane, thank you very much for joining us today on IAQ Radio. We're delighted to have you. And Stephen, I did a search on Amazon.com, and I came up with 6,749 results on the term debt collection. And I wonder, was there really a need for your book? Well, in the field of restoration, it's absolutely. What happened was I started listening to contractors about seven years ago, uh, restoration contractors, and they were saying things like, well, the adjuster uh, promised me $10,000 when we started the job, but I finished the work, all done, and he says, no, I'm not going to pay you that. I'll pay you like 7000 maybe. Uh, or another day, a guy would say, well, the mortgage company sent the, uh, the check to the homeowner, and his name was on it, so he cashed it and said, oh, I didn't know. I thought it was mine. Well, too bad. And he, things like that started happening to these poor contractors, and I heard it again and again. And finally, I, I said, okay, somebody's got to do something about this because these guys work hard, they earn the money, and then they're not paid. So I thought, okay, somebody's got to know. And I didn't because I'm a marketer. So what I did was I reached out and started talking to a lot of the superstars in the industry. Uh, actually, I was at that uh, RAA conference recently in Las Vegas, and that's where I met you, Cliff. And I said, uh, hey, Cliff, would you like to write a chapter for the book? And you turned to me and said, uh, you know, I'd rather write the forward for that book so I can say I wish a book like this had been around back in my day. And, right. you know, as soon as you said that, I, you, don't, you may not remember it, but I walked out of the room. And the reason I walked out was because I was doing the dance of joy. I didn't want anybody to see me. I came back and I said, really? And you said, sure. And so we were off and running. So people like you were my first superstars. And then I moved into the next arena where there were people like, oh, authors that uh, in the various magazines, they'd written some super articles, but they were lost in time. Years, years gone by, they were buried in the archives. So I convinced the, uh, the different editors to let me draw some out, and we did. We got some very good articles from those guys. So we got superstars, then we got some superstars who wrote for the magazines, and finally I said, there's got to be something more that I'm missing here. And so I reached out to the contractors, and as I, the farther and farther I got into the regular contract, not, not restoration contracts, just regular contractors, the more interesting stuff I found, because they found ways of dealing with the, the problems that we were dealing with in our industry. And so we tossed them in there in the soup as well. Very good. Joe? Yes, um, Stephen, I'm getting a little... Feedback. I don't know if you got close to the phone or so. I know you're on a headset, so I'll let you know if it continues, though. But um, let's get Diane on the line. Diane, do we have you? Yes, I'm here. Great. And and thanks for joining us, Diane. Uh, I'm curious, you know, when you started in the construction industry, you know, you, you said you had some problems finding certain help and assistance, and, and 
what when did you actually start these websites? How long ago was this? Was the internet up and you know big running thing? Or I mean, you started the construction in '95. I guess the internet was up and running, but uh, what gave you the idea to put it all on the internet? Oh, roughly about. Uh... 1999, December 1999, January 2000, I had so many contractors contacting me. They heard through the grapevine the nightmares we'd been through, and so they contacted me, and they would ask questions on how do I deal with this or how do I deal with that, and I recognized that there was a need out there, and I had enough of them telling me I needed to write a book, and I thought, oh, a website would be better, and then they wouldn't have to worry about dealing with uh, updates or, you know, they could get it 24-7, and, and it just kind of exploded from there. Okay. Cliff? Yes. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things on the website that I found were forms, and what sort of forms are the most important for a contractor, and why are they important? Oh, probably the most important ones would be the preliminary notices, the invoices, the lien waiver release forms, and mechanics liens. And the preliminary notices are used to protect lien rights. Uh, they're referred to by different titles in different states, but a lot of them are either notice to owner, pre-lien, preliminary notice, that sort of thing. Uh, invoices obviously are to get paid. If they don't have an invoice, especially typically a progress invoice, if they don't have that, they're not getting paid. <laughs> and then they need their lien waiver release forms because they have to issue a conditional on progress when they're progress billing. They have to issue unconditional progress when they get paid and it's cleared the bank. And then on their final uh, invoice, they have to issue the progress on final. And then after they've been paid and it's cleared the bank, then they issue the unconditional. And a lot of times, if they don't provide those forms, the contractors or the general contractors or the customers, depending on who the, the contractor is working for, they won't uh, pay the bill unless they have those uh, waiver release forms. And then the mechanics liens forms, of course, are for when they're job's done and the guys won't pay and you need to protect your rights, you go file your mechanics lien, right? You go file your mechanics lien. Let me, let me, let me jump in real quick. I, I want to go back to Stephen. I, I work with disaster restoration contractors and it seems to me they have more problems with collecting money than some of the other contractors I talk to. And, and you know, maybe it's just the economy or the the insurance they're dealing with, you know, et cetera. But do you find that's true? Absolutely. As I started reaching out farther and farther into uh, industries that were not restoration industries, I would say to them, well, okay, what do you do when an adjuster won't pay you? And they said, an adjuster? And I'd say, yeah, you know, an insurance adjuster. They, when they when they say they're going to pay you one price and they, and they hold on to your money or they say sue us and they string you out for two years in court, uh, you know, how, how do you deal with that? And there was like a long dead silence for each contractor I called. And they said, we don't do that. We don't deal with adjusters. What are you thinking? And uh, so I, I began to realize, okay, in our industry, in the restoration industry, there's a whole lot of challenges with the insurance companies that other contractors just never deal with. Uh, in, in the book, you may you may remember there was a chapter by uh, Jim Thompson, and Jim is is a restoration contractor, all right, but he deals only with large losses. And whenever I said to him, uh, you know, what do you do about the adjusters? 
He looked at me like I was from a distant planet. He said, we don't deal with adjusters. If an adjuster comes on the job at all, I, I invite him to be part of the team. Uh, but usually, uh, if there's a million-dollar deductible and I say I'll, I'll do the, the job for 500000 uh, they're like dancing on air because I, I promise I'll get the building open in, in a very short amount of time. He said adjusters don't really figure into the equation. So, yes, in the restoration industry, especially when we're doing home restoration, uh, we have more challenges, and largely ha- they have to do with the insurance companies. I've got a question for Diane. You know, Diane, you're not an attorney, and I guess in some ways this is like the legal Zoom for the cleaning and restoration and construction industry. What do you do when someone asks you a question that needs a legal opinion? I'm very careful. I've been cautioned by several attorneys that I need to preface it with, okay, this isn't legal advice, I'm not an attorney, and if it's just uh, too much of a question for me, I have an attorney. I have attorneys lined up in several states who will actually answer questions of a semi-general nature at no charge, if the question happens to be a little bit more specific about a particular project. Typically, what will happen is the attorney will answer with a general response as to, well, this could happen or that could happen, or you could do this or you could do that, and then they'll go a little bit further and say this is a bit specific of a question, so I can only answer this on a general level, and and if you need more specific information, please feel free to contact me. I've got a follow-up, Diane. You know, um, one of the things that frustrated me when I first started in the disaster repair business, you know, what I did was remove odors and I did cleaning work. I did not do construction work per se. And, you know, it took me a while before I heard about a mechanic's lien and uh, I wanted to file one and I went to my attorney in, uh, in Pittsburgh and I explained to him, you know, what I had done. I had done cleaning services and I wanted to file a mechanic's lien. And my attorney gave me bad news and the bad news was that uh, cleaning work was it was not permissible to follow mechanics lien on cleaning work and I'm wondering if you could comment on what types of services might uh, not be able to file a mechanics lien so that our listeners you know could be aware of that well typically you're correct cleaning work it, it, I contacted my attorney in California to get an answer from him on this and of course that particular uh, response that I got from him is not showing up on my computer right now, so I'm going to speak from a little bit of memory here. What he did uh, indicate was that uh, cleaning in and of itself is, no, it, there is, you cannot follow me on that. But if you go in and you do some type of permanent work, something that improves the property, whether it's cleaning it up or or putting something new in, uh, as long as it's improving the property, then you can uh, throw a lien on it. And gosh, again, I'm speaking from memory. And it's, it's not I, exactly I, I've, the got, I've got the information here if you want. See, oh, that would uh, be yeah, wonderful. He, he went on and, and, and gave some answers that I thought were, were very important. And you know, he said that if you did a landscape installation, that would be lienable, but a gardening service would not be. Uh, he said that cleaning services would not be lienable. 
He said that wall-to-wall carpets are ambiguous because they may or may not be permanent and that it's a case-by-case basis. You know, I remember very early in my career, there was a a carpet installer that that we used when we sold carpet and to, on water damage restoration projects, he would go back and and reinstall the carpet. and what happened is this person was building his business. You know, he started out doing residential work, and then he got some small commercial work, and then he got this huge building. I mean, it was like a 10-story building. It was one of the larger carpet and flooring installation jobs that occurred in this uh, southern suburb of Pittsburgh. And the contractor who built the building went bankrupt and never paid him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, here was a guy who was stuck for all the work and doing all the material, and he almost went bankrupt himself. So, you know, the, the, the services that you and Stephen provide are, are very, very important for the restoration industry. Back to you, Joe. Yes, Stephen. I'm curious. Um, you mentioned Jim Thompson. I know Cliff helped with the book. Who else did you reach out to to help with the book, as far as authors go? And how did you choose these folks? I mean, you know, Cliff and I look for guests every week, and we typically use Cliff's memory of and uh, knowledge of the disaster restoration industry when we're trying to find guests. What what did you do to help find you authors to assist with the book? Well, in the early stages, uh, first of all, I I I like go to a conference and I'd be walking around the conference saying, uh, "Who are the superstars who are here?" I just ask. And people would say, oh, well, you've got you to see this guy, you've got to see that guy. Uh, Tim Miller came up. Uh, Tim Hull was another one. He works with Violin. Uh, and uh, as, I, as I perused the conference and, and hung out with some of the, the big guys, uh, they would introduce me to other ones. And so I got to meet some of them that way. That was the first part. second part was I went to, uh, like, the, uh, the three big magazines in restoration, the uh, RIA's, uh, CNR, then R&R, and Clean Facts. And I read everything I could get my hands on. Went back into their archives, went as deep as I could, found guys who'd written outstanding articles about how to get paid. But again, they were lost in time. But th- so I called those authors and I said, "Listen, guys, I'd I'd like to reprint some of your articles, but also, would you consider writing some new stuff for me?" And most of them said, "Yeah, I'll be glad to." So we went ahead and got those down. Then Pete Consigli showed up, <laughs> and Pete <laughs> says, "He said I know everybody." And, and so he started introducing me to some really great guys in the industry, and I got them involved as well. So we, had, we, we were coming from all different directions, but even that, as I said earlier, wasn't really enough. So I left the restoration industry and went into the contracting arena. That's where I found Diane but, and others uh, like her, that people were very generous. They were giving away massive amounts of stuff. Uh, and so the, the more – and I would read their stuff first. I'd read it as, as – thoroughly as I possibly could, I would learn all that they had to teach me, and then I'd give them a call and say, listen, I, I, either I'd like to borrow one of your articles and put it in the book, or I'd like you to write me something new. Would you consider that? And my goodness, they came forth. Uh, we even got a fellow from, from Australia uh, who runs a, uh, a collection service uh, for restoration contractors, for contractors in general, uh, and he wrote a couple of articles. I was just amazed at the amount of talent that's out there. It's just we never had the idea to gather this before, but it's always been there. How long has the book been out? Uh, about five days. <laughs> Have you gotten any feedback back, uh, yet on the book? I got I got quite a few feedback uh, pieces from various people, but there's one that I, I really am excited about. It came like yesterday, the day before it came in, and here's, here's what the guy wrote to me. Uh, quick note, this book is gold. Ironically, I was waiting on a $26,955 check to be released yesterday. 
I opened your book file at about 2 p.m. and quickly browsed over it. At 4.30 p.m., I called our slow-paying client and used language obtained from several areas of the book. Long story short, we ended the call on a very good note, and the check is being deposited Friday, which is today, by the way, a big, big $26,000-plus thank you to you and those who contributed to the book. That was James Myers from Homeland Restoration. Uh, and so, yes, we're getting some very good feedback. Uh, the authors, that, that was the one that surprised me. The authors discovered each other as they read the book, and they started writing great things about what they discovered from other authors in the book. So, yes, we're getting it, – it's, it's, it's stellar stuff. I, 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 the thing that excites me the most is that we haven't had one person say, oh, this wasn't very good or this wasn't uh, what I expected it to be or anything like that. What I'm getting instead is, uh, where have you been? <laughs> Why has this book not been created before? Yeah. You, know, you know, Diane, with all your experience, while we've got you on, uh, you know, one of the things, Joe, and I like to do is enlighten the listening audience when we can get people that are very, very knowledgeable to give the audience some some trade secrets. And I would appreciate if, you know, you could, uh, you know, share some with our listening audience. Okay. I probably have a few. Maybe uh, before going into trouble and expensifying mechanics lane, one of the things I recommend to my readers and my customers is fill out the mechanics lane form and fax it to the customer. And I've had so much feedback that they never had to go to their business office to file a lien. As soon as the customer saw that they were serious, that they had it sold out and they were going to take it, they would pay the bill. And that's the emails that I get is, thank you, it worked. I didn't have to file my mechanics lien. So that seems to be a, a pretty good trick for the guys to, it's not going to hurt to try it, you know, if they save them some money. So. And then also there are, a lot of certified mailing documents that have to be certified mailed, uh, which are the various notices on the project. California specifically or especially has so many different forms that have to be certified mailed or register mailed and have to have a return receipt. So what I have suggested for years and what I actually do myself is I actually get stacks of the various documents that you have to have from the post office in order to mail something certified. And I'll actually keep that in my office and fill that paperwork out and assemble the envelopes with all of the uh, post office paperwork and I'll mail it straight to my office. One of my least favorite places to go is the post office. So once I found out from the the postal guys that I could do that, that was it. Bought the postage, took the stuff to my office, and I was good to go. And it it saves quite a bit of time. If you you like to wait in line at the post office, go for it. But if you've got more important things to do, which most of us do, cut that time wherever you can. And then probably something that I found very helpful was that I would photocopy my customers' checks before I uh, deposit them into my account. And the reason for that is when you deposit the check into your account, it looks like the money's there, but technically it's not until it clears the customer's account. If it, you deposit it and it shows it's there and the customer's check bounces, then they're going to yank that money back out of your account. At the same time, you've got the customer on the other end saying, give me my unconditional release. I want my unconditional release. And you absolutely cannot provide that document until that 
payment has cleared the issuing bank. So if you have a photocopy of that check, you can actually, you have the information of the bank, you have the information of the account number, so you can call the issuing bank, give them the information and ask them, has this check cleared the account? And if the check has cleared the account, then you know you're good to go and you can go ahead and send the form to your customer. You're covered, you're you don't have to worry about the check balancing and you're okay to release your lien rights. If you don't have that information, you can either photocopy or handwrite it. But if you don't have that information, you're stuck. You have to wait until it's somehow you find out for a fact that that check is cleared and it's not going to be yanked back out of your own account. So it's good to have that information. It's, it's a very quick and easy way to verify that the funds have actually cleared and, and you're good to go. Thanks. Hey, Cliff, let me ask you a quick question. How did Diane come out pretty clear on that? I, I had I had some feedback. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that she broke up a little. It sounded a little as though there was... Uh, you know, some background noise, but I'm not sure. I'm going to suggest, Diane, let's do this. Um, I don't know how close you are to the computer, but you might want to back away. And then what I'd like to do is we're going to our halftime presentation. Glenn Feldman's coming on with the IE Connections. I'm going to suggest you call back in. Use that same call number. Sometimes, you know, we get a bad line, and it clears right up when you call back in. Okay. Then I'll I'll try calling back in. All right, let's go to our halftime. Jess, what do we got today? Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back. Let's get uh, Glenn Fellman on the line. Do we have any music? Glenn, are we just going to bring him on? What do you think? We have music. I'm still waiting for your letter in the mail, Glenn. 
Glenn, we've got you. We're back. IE Connections. Good to have you. Thank you. Great to be back. I, I was hoping in uh, celebration of Yom Kippur I'd get something there from Fiddler on the Roof, but I'll take it, what you can get. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, appreciate having you having me on the show today, and uh, glad to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the world of indoor air quality news. Uh, first of all, I want to say we're really excited uh, with the reaction by the industry to our uh, move to an online publication, i.e. connections.com. We've had over 5,000 visitors uh, come to our site in the last month. Uh, They're coming multiple times. They're returning back and uh, forth. We've got about uh, three times a page view for uh, the number of visitors, which means they're tooling around the site. I want to talk about what's trending over the last month, first of all, and then get into some of the uh, latest headlines. So what's been popular in the last 30 days? The number one red article on the site is titled, Carbon Monoxide May Pass Easily Through Drywall, an article based on a study out of Lawrence National Berkeley Labs, uh, where they were able to determine that carbon monoxide can indeed pass through drywall and pose a health hazard, uh, especially in um, uh, multifamily dwellings. Second most popular, or most read, I should say, uh, article on the site is uh, one on EPA. They find a renovation contractor for violating the RRP rule, hit them pretty good, and likewise, they uh, blocked a company, uh, I think it was out of Florida, for making some antibacterial claims regarding a product that was not properly EPA registered. Third most read article on the site in the last month was by Ed Sobak, a technical article called Molecular Entrapment, a new way to capture airborne spores. Coming in fourth, an article by Dr. Harriet Burge called What Do We Do About Mold Behind Walls? And trending fifth, we have an article called California Mold Data by Zip Code, which describes a new MLAB P&K program where you can find outdoor air concentrations of mold by climate region zip code within the state of California, which is very unique. So those are things people have been reading over the last month, and uh, you're free to enjoy those. Just uh, go to ieconnections.com, no login, no subscription, just pass right in. Now let's talk about what's uh, what's happening these days. Uh, the, the latest story up on the site just went up about an hour or two ago, written by Tom Scarlett, and the title is Budget Cuts Would Be Devastating to EPA, Union Chief Says. Uh, the proposed budget cuts in the EPA uh, budget would have a devastating effect on the services EPA provides to the nation, according to a letter sent by the head of a major federal employees union. Colleen Kelly of the National Treasury Employees Union. Uh, It represents employees at more than 30 federal agencies. She's asked members of Congress uh, from the House Appropriations Committee to reject sharp cuts to the fiscal 2014 EPA budget that are proposed by the Appropriations Committee. The subcommittee's budget for EPA in the coming fiscal year would be, get this, 34% below the fiscal 213 level, she said. The agency would be required to absorb $2.8 billion in cuts from the current year funding. Needless to say, that would result in a huge number of programs being curtailed. You can read the rest of that uh, details on that story again at ieconnections.com. Uh, a couple of other things that uh, have been up in the last day or two, which are um, important stories. 
uh, Maine, the state of Maine, is uh, requiring radon testing by landlords now. Uh, unique in this country. Not many places do that. Uh, so you check that out online. Also, uh, some, some things that uh, uh, are close to home. Let me ask you a question, Joe and Cliff. I'll put you on the spot. Why is uh, the 19th of September a really important day for, uh, for this country? What's, what, what happens on the 19th? Not just this country, but uh, North America. What happens on the 19th or is predicted to happen on the 19th? Do you know? I don't know. I'm stumped. <laughs> it is predicted by the Weather Channel to be the worst asthma day of the year. Why is it the worst asthma day of the year? Because you're about three weeks into the school year. Kids have been in the classroom. They're starting to get exposed to colds and germs and things like that. Uh, they're being acclimated to an environment which unfortunately is um, often likely to cause an asthma attack. And that is the day, in fact, when the most asthma attacks and hospitalizations are predicted to occur. The American Lung Association has put out uh, some wonderful materials. Uh, we have an article that we published at the end of August. The title is ALA Helps Students with Asthma Return to School. It's a great article with tips for uh, uh, re uh, listeners and their customers with uh, children who have asthma about things that they can do to prevent uh, that uh, horrible situation of having an asthma attack in the middle of the school day. A couple other uh, big items of interest, uh, an article that just went up in the last few days, the Indoor Air Quality Association has a new mission statement and pillars of engagement. These are designed to really guide the organization into the future. It's a big announcement by IAQA and really helps the organization to define who it is and who it serves and what it, it does for the industry. So I encourage people to take a look at that. We've got articles going up now uh, two, three, four, sometimes five times a day, uh, all different types of topics. We've got an association news section, our conference report, uh, constantly with new, new information. I encourage people, hit it up at ieconnections.com. Uh, you'll enjoy it, and leave comments when you can. Thank you, Joe and Cliff. That wraps it up. Right. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, I um, before we broke for halftime, Cliff, Diane had some great tips, and I just want to make sure I got one of them. I, I I think I missed one. The first one was, if I if I recall correctly, Diane, make a copy of the or fax the mechanics lien. You haven't filed it yet, but you filled it out and you fax it to the customer to get their attention. I guess is that accurate? Recapture of that? Absolutely. That's absolutely yeah. exactly it. Now, the second one I, I caught was the, the postal service, but I kind of lost um, I lost track of what you were saying with that one. Can you repeat that one for me? Sure. Uh, the suggestion is that uh, you find out from the post office the various uh, documents that you need. There's a little green card, and there's a little return receipt. And in order to certify mail, you have to have those documents. In addition, it costs more in postage to send uh, documents via certified mail. So what I did and what I always recommend to people is talk to the post office, do your first couple with them so that you know exactly how to do it, and then grab a stack of every single one of those documents that you need, get enough postage so you know that you have enough on hand, take it back to your office, and then every time you need to certify mail, you can just do it right from your office, stick it in your mailbox, and you're good to go without wasting the time and the trip to the post office. 
I got you. So that's a time saver there. And, then, and I guess the fact that you're doing things certified mail gets people's attention as well. And it's also required. Uh, several states, actually, if you don't send it certified and you don't have a, a return receipt to prove that it was received, oftentimes you're not protected. Uh, okay. And then I wanted to go back to something Stephen said. Stephen, you, you mentioned that um, you had a great review and that the person who had written this review had used a couple of the uh, phrases, the, the terms that, that you mentioned in the book. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners you know, a couple of those you know, key words or key phrases they should use when they're talking to someone trying to collect a little bit of money. Well, I, actually, there's a couple answers. First, my first answer is I'm a marketer, so the way I do things is almost always in marketing. But the the way these guys are, um, uh, the, the way they're setting up what they do, they will often start with a, a preliminary lien or something that is uh, without actually finding a lien. They send an intent to lien, and by sending that out or suggesting that they're going to do that or, or bringing it to the attention of the homeowner that they have done that, that's all often it takes. They actually they'll cut you a check. It's amazing how fast that works and how easy that works. But the, there aren't. It's not precisely phrases. It's referring back to the fact that that they have all their ducks in a row. Uh, again, I was talking to one of the authors just before we went on the air today, and he said one of the things that uh, has been a problem in the industry is that the uh, restoration guys have been uh, accused by the insurance companies of padding their bills, and the uh, insurance guys are, are mad at them for that. Well, the, then the, the other guys, the, the restoration guys, say, well, you, if we don't put something extra in there, you don't have anything to take out, so you'll take out the, the, what's left of my profit. Uh, so they fight back and forth. Well, that, therein lies there's a battle. The the beauty of of uh, this this new technique, and especially uh, Jim Thompson is an expert in that. He says, look, do the best job you can. Don't don't pad your bill. Don't do anything that's even remotely questionable. He said, if you bring in your job under time and under budget, and you do a splendid job each time, you're you're set for life. You don't have to play the adjuster game. They they won't they if they can't penetrate uh, the wall of of uh, honesty that you put in front of them, then they won't try it anymore. And you'll actually end up with a lot more jobs with a lot less headaches. Does that make sense? It doesn't. It really makes sense to me because I know there's that urge or that desire sometimes to get every, you know, you, you get a nice job and you want to get every dime you can out of it and maybe stretch that a little bit. And I think that's Jim's point is that, you know, rather than trying to make sure you get every dime that's available, get every dime that's necessary, do a good job, make them very happy, and then bring them back again. Yes, and especially with the large losses, because, again, in those instances, you're often you're bypassing the adjuster. You don't have to deal with the adjuster because, again, the, the, if, if, the, if the deductible is so large that uh, your work is actually going to fall within that deductible. Uh, as an example, Jim did, uh, I think he said 200 Walmarts. Well, if they've got a million-dollar deductible and he, his job is $500,000, uh, there's no adjuster involved. But if one Walmart doesn't like you, you'll never work for Walmart again. If they do like you, the odds of you're getting a lot more jobs just like it are very good. Gotcha. Cliff? Well, I think one other thing, the fact that, you know, Walmart may have these, may have a million dollar deductible, they may still bring in an adjuster just to, you know, have a look at the cost and to just be sure that that bill for a half a million dollars is really a fair bill for, you know, for that service. Um, 
Steve, what kind of surprises uh, occurred while you were putting the book together? You know, good, bad, or indifferent. The, the farther I penetrated into the the market that was the the, the writers who were not restoration writers, uh, the more I went into their field, the more enchanted I became by the fact that they have no problems with adjusters at all. Uh, that that was I was blown away by that. But then again, I come back to Jim Thompson because he stands between the two worlds. He's in both worlds. He's in our restoration world because he's a restoration professional. Uh, and in fact, by the way, he, he said that the Z-Man he said Cliff took me under his wing, and that's how I know what I know. So just just so you know, he he owes a great deal to you. At least I, that's that's um, what he presents to the public. But but the next thing is that he uh, people like him are discovering that they don't that that and that was the big surprise. They don't have to try to uh, put extra things in the bill that don't belong there. It, by being absolutely stone cold honest, which is something that many restoration contractors fear. They say if I'm honest. They're liable to take everything from me uh, because the the way the game's been played for so long. But the guys like Jim and others who are saying, look, you don't have to. You, if you are absolutely honest, bring in the job under budget and under time, in the shorter time than we anticipated or that, that you said at the original estimate, uh, they're going to think you're very good. You're golden, and they're going to want you back again and again. There won't be that battle that we know so well in our part of the industry. Instead, you end up being... Um, sought after and given more jobs just because you are they, they see you as a good strong uh, decent uh, worker without any of the the artifices that they're often used in the industry Joe yeah I've got a, a question for Diane I I know I didn't we we send questions and try and get people an idea of what we're we're interested in I didn't really send you anything on this Diane but I'm curious when you as, you know, you have an outsider's perspective on the disaster restoration side. You're a contractor. What within the book was either like most interesting or most surprising to you, and and why? Good question. <laughs> I actually have been spending so much time on assembling the web page and and answering the questions. I actually only just found about found out about the radio show and the book and and actually just met Steve just within the last gosh probably week so probably what I'd have to say my biggest surprise so far is how many people have contributed to that book it's absolutely amazing how many people have and and on top of that not only how many people have contributed but how much they've contributed it's Gosh, you know, one of those books that you want to have either print it out and put it right there on your desk, stick it in a folder if you need, because it's something you're going to want to have at hand. Unfortunately, people are not paying their bills these days, and these contractors need to be ready for that. And if they have that book right there, right there, left hand, whatever, then they're going to have that information that they need right there. Now, do you think there are there's information in the book that would apply to others? Like you know, we we have a lot of consultants into air quality and disaster restoration consultants. I'll throw this out to either one of you. I don't know who is best to answer this, but would some of these same principles techniques work in other industries? I think I'll probably defer on to Steve, and I would say that that. Yes, I, I, my opinion is that any contractor can go in and if they look at it and say, 
it, rather than looking at it as an insurance adjuster, look at it as a customer. When they're reading the article, then they can apply the same principle without uh, actually being one that deals with insurance adjusters. But other than that, I would actually probably defer that question to Stephen. Well, for what it's worth, I will say this. We had several attorneys write articles for the book, and each of them uh, had their own uh, legal direction they wanted to go. Some of them were uh, like, uh, well, you know some of their famous names already in the field, but some of them were local. That is, they would they work out of one state. Other ones were working out of several states, and they said, well, everything is, is pretty well, pretty much the same in every state with a few exceptions, and they would go into the exceptions. So when a consultant comes along and reads the book, and by the way, we've had consultants buying it already, so we know that they're, they're buying it for purpose. But they, when they would buy the book, uh, they would be looking for, is, is there a way that I can, uh, is there a new wrinkle? Is there something I can teach my clients uh, that will enable them to become uh, more solvent? Can they, is there a way to help them get their money? Because really that's, that's the bottom line of everything we're doing in the industry right now. Most of the books I wrote in the past, as you know, were all about uh, how to get more jobs. And this one is all about how to get paid for the jobs you've done. So what happens is a consultant or anyone who's interested in learning more about the field uh, gets a hold of something like this book. It doesn't have to be this book. There are, there are articles, as I say, in all those magazines I mentioned before. All of them have very good articles for free. Uh, all you have to do is go into their archives and start looking. But the, the, the bottom line, the, the answer is uh, there are consultants throughout the book who've written for other consultants. And then there are uh, – uh, so we even have, we have one who works for the insurance companies. And this is the most amazing one to me. He works for insurance companies. Goes, when you go to court, he fights on their side. He's sitting on the other side of the table from you. But he said, I'm going to open my playbook. Think of me as a coach uh, in, in a football team, and I'm going to open my playbook and show you all the tricks that we're going to use and, and the ways for you to defend against them. So to me, <laughs> yes, consultants are going to get a real kick out of this book. Was there anything in those tricks that surprised you? Um, it, you know, I when I first looked at it and I was reading the uh, the, the chapters, I began to, to wonder: Are there all these forms? Are they are they absolutely necessary? Because some of the like the one from the insurance company, his name is Tim Cordell. Now Tim is, is a consultant for them, as I say, he sits on the opposite side of the aisle from you when you're in in combat, and he said, "I'm going to show you all the things that you don't do right." Uh, and so yes, when I the thing that surprised me was there are a whole lot of uh, forms. If you fill them out properly, uh, you are pretty much ironclad and, and totally um, armored. You, you don't have to worry about fighting in court or losing in court or something like that because you've, cover, you've dotted all the I's, you've crossed all the T's. But there are lots of forms that I've never heard contractors talk about before, and they're fairly simple. But he goes down the line and lists them all and said, look, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? Because that's what I'm going to ask you in the court. And if the answer is no, I'll win. Uh, and the answer is yes, you've got a pretty good chance of standing your ground. So yeah, that was a, that was an important one. Yeah, Diane, can you comment a little bit on uh, why an employee handbook uh, is important for a company? Well, an employee handbook, a lot of well, for to start with, OSHA themselves they say that uh, companies are required to keep their employees safe, and obviously, and one of the ways to keep your employees safe is to have a list of rules that they need to follow. And if they don't follow those rules nine out of ten times, they're going to get injured. OSHA's going to come in. They're going to say, well, what type of rules do you have? Do you have a handbook? So if you give this handbook out to these guys, they know what the rules are. They know they need to follow the rules. 
they chances are know if they don't follow the rules, they're going to lose their job. And it it keeps them safe. It can help keep the employer's workers' comp down. It's just a, a very good, say you've got 20 different rules. There's no way you're going to remember those 20 different rules, especially when you're out there on a job site. And so it's good to have the the reference so that if you don't know how to do something, then you can just jump into that book and find out, oh, this is how they want me to handle this. Gotcha. Along the same lines, and either one of you can answer this, uh, maybe Stephen, you know, you were talking about the insurance uh, consultant who, you know, he would, be, he would be on the other side. Is there any mention of, for instance, like a health and safety program or a respiratory protection program, and you mentioned forms. I'm curious, do they ever go to that level where they're saying, well, you never really supplied us with this information, your employees weren't medically evaluated, whatever the case may be. I'm just curious. I, I haven't seen anything like that in any of the articles, but, you know, the, the wonderful thing about this book is that it's, it's in PDF form right now, which means when somebody calls me up and says, do you know anything about this, or have you added that in there, and, I, and the answer is no, all I do is I call up an author like you, and I say, okay, I need to know more about this, and I'll revise the book, and I'll actually do I will revise the book that day, put in your new article, and then we have the, the information that we really wanted uh, about that kind of thing. And I'm guessing that you you guys, uh, Joe and, and Cliff, are both um, knowledgeable in that arena, and so this would be a perfect opportunity. Maybe this is the time to do it. We just add it in, make sure that they get that, that knowledge too. You know, I, I just think submittals and, and not having the appropriate submittals, I've seen it on government work where you don't have the right submittals in place. You know, sometimes you just don't even start the job. But I happened to be with a guy yesterday in class who was doing work in a government, in a, actually in a military base. And I was shocked by what um, he didn't have in place, and I was surprised at how he had been doing the work at that base without anybody picking up on these documents not being in place. These are health and safety issues. And I was wondering, you know, as we're talking about it here, how that might affect payment down the road. You know, if somebody could say, well, you know, you didn't submit this, you didn't submit that. I guess he could come back and say, well, you know, you didn't require me to submit it, and here it is. But uh, I just thought that's what really led me to think about that. Cliff, do you have any follow-up, you want to go to the roundup? No, I think we should go to the roundup, Joe, I think. I'd kind of like to start this off, Cliff, if you don't mind. I, I, I got a question. Is uh, Glenn, are you still on the line? Yep. Glenn, you are now much more involved with the disaster restoration industry than you were in the past. I know your company is managing, I guess, the um, RIA, the Restoration Industry Association. I, I really wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to kind of either tell us what you find interesting about this conversation or to ask a specific question uh, with respect to, you know, how does this, uh, what do you hear from your members? Well, I should, should say that, you know, Tim Shaw is the executive director of RIA. He has 
day-to-day contact with the board of directors and the committee chairs and the members, and I, I, I don't, uh, although I am involved in, in some of their activities. But what I guess I would want to comment um, from, from the RA perspective is that the information that's been shared today on this show is information that a lot of contractors don't know, and it can protect them so tremendously. Uh, I know that RIA has worked with uh, our guests today to publish uh, in CNR Magazine and elsewhere uh, information of this nature, but I would just encourage uh, all the listeners um, to to you know, access these resources that, uh, that have been made available by, by these experts because it really does make a huge difference. Uh, some of the members of RIA are very small companies. They put all their resources into a, a particular project uh, in a given time period, and then if they don't get paid for it, it has a devastating effect on their business. Um, so I, I just uh, really appreciative of this information being collected, being disseminated through this show, through the industry trade journals, and just would like to see it go on and, and encourage people to continue in this way. That's a great comment. Um, I have a good friend who helps teach for me, and actually his company went out of business because of debt issues and not being able to collect off of people and making some of the mistakes that um, you know these two have outlined here. Cliff, let me throw it over to you for a minute, and then I'll come back with the final one if that's all right. Sure. I, I think that, um, Diane, what I'd like you to do is uh, – you, you 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 answer questions for free uh you know via your email so if you would give our uh listeners your you know your website your contact information uh i think they'd greatly appreciate it sure well, they actually probably the easiest way for them to do it would be to go to my website it's informed i n f o r m e d contractors Dot com, and there's actually a contact form there that they can email me. That would be the easiest way for them to get a hold of me. They're also welcome to email me direct, but it's a lot longer email address. <laughs> Diane, D-I-A-N-E, at the, T-H-E, contractorsgroup.com. So they can reach me either way. Thanks. And, Stephen, before we go, um, first of all, let's make sure, is that also where we can get the book? Diane? Yes, it is. That's actually where you can get the book as well. You would go to informedcontractors.com forward slash get paid. Get paid. I like that title. Uh, get paid. You know. Okay, so let me repeat that for everybody out there. It's www.informedcontractors.com and forward slash get paid for a link directly to the book. And, Stephen, before we go, I wanted to ask you um, – can you give us a little insider secret, one of the things in the book that um, may be specific to it? I don't care if it's getting paid or anything else, but you know, a little tidbit for people that um, they may not be aware of for a tip of some kind. Uh, you know, the, the, the tip I gave you earlier is, is my favorite of all the bunch. I'll tell it to you one more time just in case. Uh, in our industry, in the restoration industry, people have been for so long um, doing this, this seesaw with the insurance adjusters. Uh, they put a little extra into their bill. The adjuster goes and finds it and takes some out of the bill, and back and forth, back and forth. The, the best thing I learned from the authors that were sharing this, the new concepts, one I'd never seen before, was if you do the job under budget, under time, and you do it well, uh, you don't have to worry anymore about that seesaw. It evaporates. 
And as I say, just before the show, I was talking to a contractor who was actually a consultant and a contractor uh, who told me, he said, look, inform the audience, let them know uh, that this, this dance that we've been doing so long for so many years with these uh, uh, with the insurance adjusters that, uh, that that have gotten into the dance and know how to do it better than you do. He said, if you try to cheat, if you try to do something wrong in, uh, anywhere inside the uh, the invoice, they're going to find it. Uh, especially the bigger the job, the more they look for it. So he said, don't do that. Make sure that you're bulletproof. So when they go, come up against you, and again the the other article in the book that I referred to earlier with Tim Cordell, the the insurance guy, uh, he says, look, do all these things. And you'll make yourself bulletproof. You cannot. You don't have to worry about fighting us uh, because we we will know instantly that you've done all the right things. So those two things: one is get your job done very well, get it done under budget, under time. It'll be a miracle. It'll change things for you. And the other thing is make sure you've gotten all the forms in place so that should they decide they want to challenge you, you have all the magic and all the weapons you need to stand up against them. Great advice, Cliff. Anything you'd like to add before we go? No, no, I think that, um, you know, the, the I, I just wish something like this was available. I spent 35 years, you know, in, in the industry. Uh, I lost millions of dollars, uh, and most of it was on not getting paid or not getting paid in full, and I really wished uh, that I would have had this book and you know unfortunately you know this book wasn't there and you know I was a survivor I made it and unfortunately I have friends and you know people that I know that uh you know didn't make it and they didn't make it in business because you know they couldn't collect money that that was due to them so I think this book is uh real important I'm curious you know listeners love to hear you um and you have great a lot of people that respect you in the industry what Maybe you could give us one of the biggest mistakes you made. How to fix it? You know, you know what was, uh, you know, what was interesting is I actually, uh, you know, had an opportunity to, you know, I, I kind of not only did I write the forward, but I actually gave a, you know, a specific instance, you know, of a project that I had in, in, in Pittsburgh. There was a fire. It was on Fifth Avenue downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, we were doing uh, restoration work at a place that's now out of business called Cadet Photo. And uh, there was a very plush jewelry store that was a couple doors, uh, you know, up the street. And, uh, you know, they actually sent a representative down, and uh, this representative told me that, uh, you know, the owner of the business, you know, would like to, to, to see me. And, uh, you know, I went down, and, I mean, this place was like a palace inside, and it was very, very heavily smoke damaged. It was very odorous. And, um, you know, she told me that, you know, they needed this place turned around in like 48 hours. And I was just kind of finishing up with the with the photo place, and, you know, she asked me if we could do this, and I said that I could. And this jewelry store serviced uh, the likes of uh, Liz Taylor and other people that would really fly into Pittsburgh to buy diamonds and really, really expensive jewelry. And I presented this woman with a work authorization, and she kind of, you know, looked down her nose at me and said, you know, I don't sign any any paperwork. My attorney has. Uh, you know, power of attorney, and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll take care of it. And what we did is we went ahead and, you know, we did the work, and she'd given me the name of the attorney, and, uh, you know, we never got paid. 
and you know it's like a thirty three hundred dollar lesson you know pretty early in my business career i mean this was in the early seventies and it was something that i you know that I never forgot but I mean that was just one of many i mean I've had people die during the project I've had people get divorced during the project i mean anything that can happen uh is going to happen i mean it's it's really uh unpredictable uh but i mean this stuff happens so uh i think that this book with uh how to correct you know how to get the paperwork correct uh the, the work that you know Harvey Cohen and his group have thought about the assignment the benefits about how to you know knowing how to uh you know, put in a, a mechanics lean in, in, in force. I mean, these are all things that you can learn one of two ways. You can learn the hard, expensive way, or you can make an investment in the book and, you know, have that information in front of you. And I believe it'll begin making a difference, uh, you know, the day that you read it. You know, buying it's not enough. You have to read it and you have to implement it. So you, I, I assume you never, you, you said you never followed through and got the work authorization signed by her lawyer, and they used that against you. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, the, the lawyer blew me off. I mean, I went to his office; he wouldn't see me. I called him on the phone; he wouldn't see me. The lady wouldn't answer my calls. And you know, here again, I, I, I did a, a wonderful job that they were very, very happy with. Wow. You know, they just stuck me, and uh, you know. That's just one, Joe. There were hundreds and hundreds of these things. I mean, you know, every year, uh, I would say that, uh, you know, a significant percentage of the work that we did, we wouldn't get paid for. You know, 3%, 4%, you know, 5%. Uh, you know, there were uh, pack-out jobs that, that, that we would do where we would have everyone's belongings in our, you know, in our facility. And then the customer would be in a temporary residence, and you know they'd kind of show up on the doorstep and say, "Well, you know, I need, you know, I have important papers in there. I need them." And you know we would get them the important papers, and then they would say, "Well, you know, I have a coin collection in there, like I need it." And you know we would end up giving them different things. I mean, they would keep coming, and sooner or later the leverage shifted, Joe, where they had the really important stuff. And uh, I had things that were less important, and then you know the leverage of payment would change. I see. You know, they, uh, you know now they had the leverage because they had the things that were most important to them. Uh, you know, on some of these contents restoration jobs, uh, you know, we would actually deliver the the merchandise. And you know, the one thing that you know from a professional moving company is you're giving them a check before your stuff comes off the truck. And I think many restoration contractors have made the mistake of giving, uh, you know, the client back uh, their personal property before they get paid, and it becomes a let's let's make a deal situation. But I mean, there are just thousands and thousands of excuses. Well, that's a great way to finish the show, though, Cliff. I appreciate you sharing with the listeners, and uh, I always appreciate doing this show with you. I want to thank you. As always, for joining us again this week, I want to thank our two guests, Stephen Lavelle, and uh, I want to thank Diane Dennis. The name of the book is Get Paid, How Contractors Make Money They How Contractors Get the Money They Earn. And you can find that book at uh, www.informedcontractors.com. I want to thank 
Jessica Lawson, our, our engineer. We'll get her to talk on the air yet here, Cliff. That day's coming. And, of course, uh, Glenn Feldman for the Halftime IE Connections, but most importantly, our growing group of listeners. The Z-Man and I will be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.